God will deliver Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a very important city, most mentioned in the Bible, actually. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As for the 32nd year, we read through the Bible. Today we are in Isaiah 33. It is a great passage. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? God does something really interesting with the symbolism of lions in Isaiah chapter 31. Ryan? Well, Isaiah mentions Egypt quite a bit. And so for my segment today, I'm going to be examining some pretty impressive Egyptian statues by Ramses the Great. Really? Ramses the Great? That's amazing. Okay, very good. Those pieces coming up in 20 minutes. Janice? Amy and Ben, get ready. <laughs> because this is our Friday wrap-up question of the week. I can ask a question anywhere from Isaiah chapter 12 all the way up to chapter 33. I hope you're ready. Isaiah 33, verses 1 through 9. Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered. And you who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously with you. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nations shall be scattered. And your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts, he shall run upon them. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Surely their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. He has broken the covenant he has despised the cities. He regards no man. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is shamed and shriveled. Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Isaiah chapter 33, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah chapter 30, 31, 32, and 33. That's what we study today as we go through the Bible. And uh, I hope you're going through with us. It's great. If you can, that's great. If you can't because you're too busy or things happen, we're going to focus on Isaiah 33, verses 1 through 9. Let me read you something. Woe to you who plunder, though you have not plundered or been plundered. That's Isaiah 33, verse 1. This is how the prayer begins as Isaiah breathes out the image given to him from God's precious Holy Spirit. Prayers are very important when we see, read, and hear 
prophecy, prayers. We just often listen. We should pray about it when we consider it. In today's reading assignment, we begin with a comparison. Isaiah speaks to the distress of those who plundered, though they had not been plundered. When people make free will decisions to do things to others that they have not had happen to them, this is a chief mark of ignorance and arrogance. This prayer in Isaiah 33, given in deep distress, tells us that we can call on God to help us in all of our difficult times. We we must, however, always remember that there is a city in heaven, which of course is called New Jerusalem, and that will descend from God to humanity in the end. God will make everything right and well again, and that's when the judgment will take place. And we need to pay attention to that. You see, it's I, I say to people, it's not me or you that I have to worry about in heaven. I've got to, the Lord's going to talk to me at the judgment seat of Christ, which is not about getting into heaven, but Essentially, Jesus Christ is going to say to us, what should you do with what I gave you? Hopefully I can say, well, I did talk to people about coming to you and all of that. And that's what we need to consider, beloved. The judgment seat of Christ. Anyway, we're going to talk about a prayer in distress. Isaiah 33, 1 to 9. And there's a lot here that we can apply today. Now, With social media and with all of the social stuff and everything, let's just think about this. Let's listen to what the Lord says to us because we're going to pay attention to it. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, write to us or call us. We'll send you one or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it and it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. We appreciate them. And then, of course, the page where you can download it. Father, help us. Help us today to hear you. I I need to hear you, Lord. Mm. I need to hear you. Help me to hear you today. And help me to take your word seriously in my life. Help us all, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Okay. So now with that, we go to Isaiah chapter 33, verse 1. Here's what it says. Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered. And you who deal with treacherously, though they have not dealt with you treacherously. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered, or you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing with treacherously, or dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their arm every morning. Our salvation also in times of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nations shall be scattered. And your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts, he shall run upon them. Fascinating. When we look to human help in divine battles, we fail. God works all miracles through his divine hands. Now, let me explain this. He uses the imagery of nature 
to describe how God's going to react because the people don't understand. So he's using the imagery of nature, the creatures that crawl and all the things. And he says, do you see this? Of course you do. You brush them off. You see them on your animals and everything else. He said, that's how God is going to be. That's how he's going to defeat your enemies. That's very important. Let's go on because this gets better. Verses five and six. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord, is his treasure. God will deliver Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be delivered. And Christians continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As instructed specifically in Psalm 122, verse 6. Do you pray for Jerusalem? Do you pray for the peace of Jerusalem? You should. Not because I said so, but because God said so. Read Psalm 122. We must pray what God tells us to pray. So it's important for us to understand that God has specific times for his people to move in and act. And by that, I mean pray. This is one of those times. Prayer now is more important than it's ever been. Well, that's my own opinion, but that's what it seems like to me. All right, let's go back to Chapter 33, verse 7, it says, Surely their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is shamed and shriveled. Sharon is like the wilderness and Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. God has chosen his fire to begin in Jerusalem. That is to say Mount Zion. The Lord God is all strength and power. Now, I, I, I need to tell you something. Jerusalem is an amazing place. Very, very important for us to remember that. So we need to pay attention to what God is saying here because God is speaking to us. He says, listen, I'm getting ready to shake things up and I've already started shaking things up. And we need to understand that the Lord God is superior to all of this going on. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what leaders of what country. God is superior to them. God is able to take them out. You can have the best military in the world. Doesn't matter. Because the Lord can take you out. You say, well, that's not a problem because we got computers running out. The Lord takes out the computers. Cyber warfare is a big deal. Not only that, but we have to remember how simple it is for God to do anything. The Lord is the Lord of all. All authority has been given to him. Heaven and earth. And Father, we need to pray today. We need to remember who you are. Know that you are the Lord God of everything. We come to you, forgive us of our sin, and help us to do this right, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name, and the nations across the world, this is what we pray. We said together, amen.
Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Today we're going to be focusing in on Isaiah chapter 31 because God does something really interesting. He talks about um, how it's foolish for Judah to be relying on Egypt and the military might of Egypt for help, even though they have this working alliance, this working relationship. And ultimately in history, Egypt was uh, defeated. It was pushed back enough by the Assyrian Empire to not be able to help Judah. Then God goes on through the prophet Isaiah to talk about a, a lion, to use this imagery of a lion growling and all these shepherds banding together against this lion to, to withhold it. And he does something really interesting with that symbolism. But first, let's take a look at the symbolism of lions in general, specifically pay attention to how it's applicable to Assyria, because it was the nation of Assyria that was coming for Judah. Take a look. The lion was one of the main predators of ancient Israel and is mentioned often in the Bible. Today, the wild Asiatic lion is extinct in Israel, though a modern cousin lives in captivity thanks to conservation efforts. From references in the Bible, we know the lion once could be found throughout the land of Israel, regardless of topography. They were considered one of the animals that shepherds had to protect their herds and flocks from. Even David, before he was king, claimed to have defeated lions attacking his sheep. Lions are also said to have occasionally attacked humans. It's an interesting correlation that just as the role of shepherd was associated with kings, so was the lion. As shepherd of the people, it was the king's job to establish and maintain order and safety for his flock, protecting them from predators and dangers, and providing them with sustenance. On the surface, the mighty and terrifying lion also provides an apt symbol for the power, strength, and persistence of a good king. As king of the wild, the lion fears only man. As king of his nation, the ruler fears only God, or the gods, depending on his culture. The lion's association with kingship may reach even deeper, as expressed by Neo-Assyrian culture. Their empire was the one that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and severely humbled southern Judah. On the walls of excavated Assyrian palaces are carvings that depict royal lion hunts, and explanations of these hunts seem to move them beyond sport and into ceremony. The Assyrian kings believed they had a mandate from the gods to bring nature or the wild under control, to civilize even the wildlife. The lion served as the symbol for all this untamed chaos. By successfully hunting a lion, likely as part of their coronation, Assyrian kings took the place of the lion as king of the untamed world. They would not only protect their citizens from the wild, but actively had power over it. The lion's kingly association is more ancient than the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Kingly lion hunting scenes survive from the third millennia BC kingdom of Uruk, as well as from Egypt, and lion imagery adorns a king's mace head from Kish. 
In the Bible, King Solomon's throne was reached by six stairs flanked by a total of 12 lion statues, perhaps symbolizing the mighty king-like power of the 12 tribes of Israel, ruled over by the ultimate king, himself. At least in that early time of kings, it was a mighty thing to kill a lion, as seen by David's claim to have defeated them, one of his mighty men claiming the same, and of course the famous story of the judge Samson killing a young aggressive lion with his bare hands. It's not known if Israelite kings ever participated in kingly lion hunts, but it is possible that there were some unlawful lion cults or ceremonies that took place. This is hinted at by lion-shaped cult objects and by a lion bone found in northern Israel's apostate high place. So I hope that you're able to see here where, where when we're talking about the Neo-Assyrian Empire, the kings of Assyria envisioned themselves as a lion king. The lion was one of their symbols. So when Isaiah is prophesying about these political events, and he's already talked about Egypt and how Egypt's not going to be able to handle Assyria, and then he goes, he goes on, as a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it. It is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So I can imagine myself thinking, yeah, okay, Isaiah, I'm with you. The king of Assyria, he's coming. All the other shepherd kings, you know, this is this coalition of, of Hezekiah and all these other guys trying to stand against the Assyrian king. But the Assyrian king is still coming. He's not afraid at all. I'm tracking with you. I get it. But then God does something really interesting. He says, so the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. So in other words, it's not the Assyrian king who is this great, unrelenting, undefeatable lion. It's God and his purposes. And then God uses this to call the people back, return Israelites to the one you have so greatly revolted against. And then jumping down to verse eight, Assyria will fall by no human sword. It's going to be God, the ultimate king, the ultimate lion who will take it over. I love that. That is awesome. Very good, Corey. Uh, Ryan. All right. Well, today's reading assignment is Isaiah 30 to 32. And in the first part of chapter 30, God rebukes the Israelites for putting their hope in Egypt rather than in him. Now, this is an important lesson for us, too, because if we only have eyes to see the physical, then we are spiritually blind. And that gets us into all sorts of trouble. Case in point, ancient Israel. They should have trusted in God, but because they were spiritually ignorant, they looked to Egypt for that help. And you know what? From man's point of view, there's no doubt. Egypt was a very well-established and powerful nation. It was a very impressive place, to be sure. And today, I actually want to take us there to, to sort of see what the Israelites saw in them. You know, Egypt had a lot of confidence in itself as well. I mean, take Ramses II, for example. He believed that he was the greatest pharaoh of all time. He's actually still referred to as Ramses the Great to this day. And he's famous for his building projects. And interestingly, some of his statue designs have been carefully analyzed with computers, and the results have shocked those who believe that these ancients were less evolved than we are today. Servants of the Most High God, they were not. Nevertheless, they were very intelligent human beings with a massively successful empire, and the Israelites wanted in.
Of all Egyptian pharaohs, Ramses II, or Ramses the Great, stands out as one of the most prominent. Not only was he one of the longest reigning Egyptian kings, ruling for nearly 70 years, but he also fathered more than 50 sons, and probably an equal number of daughters as well. If he was not the greatest, he certainly thought he was, and proclaimed himself as such through his many building projects. Indeed, Ramses II is known as Egypt's most prodigious builders of temples and statues of himself. And those which he did not build, he hacked the builders' names off of and inserted his own. He was an egomaniac who elevated himself to godlike status. Despite Ramses' lofty delusion that he was some sort of deity, the engineering behind these massive building projects is truly remarkable. For example, his statues are all perfectly symmetrical, and under computer analysis, it is evident that the builders used the Pythagorean Triangle and the Golden Triangle in the architecture. This amazing symmetry has scholars debating whether the Egyptians may have given Pythagoras his triangle concepts. Some of these statues actually belong to Ramses' famous temple, known as Abu Simbel, which is yet another incredible technological achievement. Actually, declares one researcher, its craftsmanship and immensity set it apart from most ancient monuments. At its entrance, the temple has a facade depicting four colossal statues carved out of the solid stone of the mountain. The figures are 67 feet high, Three of them are representations of Egypt's greatest gods, and the fourth is a statue of Ramses himself. He deified and included himself in the upper echelon of the gods. The entrance to the temple leads to a massive man-made cave going back 185 feet, with two rows of 30-foot statues lining the hall. Inside, Ramses had stories written down to tell of his victories over the Hittite Empire at Kadesh. The entire temple was dedicated to displaying his achievements and his honor. The innermost shrine contained four statues, which interestingly were only illuminated by the sun on February 22nd and October 22nd. These evidently were important dates to Ramses, perhaps his coronation and birth. The ingenuity and high level of intelligence represented through these ancient monuments completely shatters the notion that ancient man was less evolved. In fact, this was best illustrated when Ramses' 39-foot-tall, 80-ton statue in Memphis was recently transported to Ramses Square. The only way a modern man could do so was to cut it up into three pieces and transport each piece individually. Stated matter-of-factly, our modern technology simply was not up to par with that of the ancient Egyptians. So much for the idea that modern man is so much more evolved. You know, from man's perspective, aligning oneself with kingdoms like Egypt is very smart. But from God's perspective, those who align themselves with Him are smart. In fact, in Psalm 146 it says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. Yes, let's not put our trust in man, but rather in God. I think it's important. That's really good. Uh, and I think that's really key. Very, very important. Uh, what do you do on the weekend, Corey? 
Uh, every single weekend, my husband and I release a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap of the assigned reading uh, from the television program, from the Bible Discovery Guide. It's the idea is to get you caught up on your reading if you've fallen behind. So if you want to check that out, uh, check out my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. All right. Now. The question yes. comes. The question. And I've been trying to hide something so carefully back here. Can I move my leg you yet? You can move your leg. I told Rod, <laughs> don't move your leg. We, we're holding something as in secret. Okay, so it's been quite a while. I think it was February that, that um, Amy and Ben had sent me for Christmas these awesome confetti balloons. Uh -huh. And uh, we haven't broken one, I think, since February. So today, this is sitting here in anticipation of the right answer of our high Fun oh, Friday no question. It's a high stakes yeah. Friday. So, yeah, no pressure, but we're really hoping that you get it right today. <laughs> and I'm hoping that I can actually break it. They fly everywhere, let me they tell do. you. They're pretty impressive. They're not that easy to vacuum up either. Yeah. But that's okay. But it's, it's fun. It. It's fun. fun. It's fun. It's all fun in the factor. name of fun. Even if you get it wrong, we're still breaking it. Oh, exactly. <laughs> just, just to celebrate it being Somebody Friday. somewhere will get it right. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Right? What's the question? Somewhere. That, that was very good, Rob. <laughs> that was very good. Somebody somewhere, if they get it wrong, somebody somewhere is going to get it right. Okay. Well, here we go. According to the book of Isaiah, who is the son of Hilkiah? Is that Shebna? Is that Isaiah or is that Eliakim? Sheepna, Isaiah, or Eliakim? What do you think? We're pretty confident on this. We are. Yes? Yes. yes. I think How we're going to get. Home? Are you confident? A confetti. Here yeah. comes the answer. Number three. Number yes. three. So not Sheepna. Nope. Not Isaiah. Nope. Eliakim. Eliakim. Isaiah 22, verse 20. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. All right, here we go. Yay. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't. There we go. <laughs> all over you. Oh, yes. Did Ryan get you. some? A little bit. He did. Yeah. He, he needs some more. He needs some more. <laughs> Thank more. you. There you go. More for Rod. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate more. that. All right. Thank you, Amy and Ben. Today, we have to pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand because this is important, not about ourselves, but about others. And we say it this way, Lord, help me to pay attention to Israel. Help me to pay attention to Jerusalem. This is the place that is so remarkably evident that you're going to be. Help me to pay attention and be aware in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen. 